Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell. We are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ocha Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Well, we're down to the final two weeks to go of the 2021 CFL regular season. Can you believe it? The season has flown by. I guess that's what happens when it is a little bit shortened. Uh, but we're down to the official final stretch drive here as we welcome in Michael Garrell. Uh, I thought this was a great weekend of four really good games. You know, you've got some tight matchups down the stretch. First of all, Mike, how are you doing this week? And uh, what do you make overall of what you saw in week number 14, was it? Yeah, honestly, I didn't see much. But what I did see was on highlights. And, uh, you, you know, I, I'm i still intrigued how this East Division is going to shake out. I, I know... Um, I know Hamilton is probably the class of the uh, division at this point, but the Argos just do not go away. Um, the, there's something about it, and then, you know, I made my weekly case for Montreal, so really for me, it's throw those three teams in a blender and go from there. Yeah, and all three teams out east clinching their playoff spots this week. Uh, still the final spot in the west up for grabs between Calgary and BC. We'll get into their matchup uh, at the end of the show as we make our picks for this week. A, uh, I, I don't know about you, Mike, uh, but a, my for me, first perfect 4-0 and week of CFL pickup of the season. It's about dang time, and uh, well, Toronto almost blew it. Um, and you know, I said last week on the podcast, what did I say when you finally picked the Bombers to win a game? If they lose, I am texting you the words, it's your fault. And Mike, I am happy to say that you did not jinx them. Uh, although it was looking dicey at times more so than any other game this year. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, for, for sure. And you know, I'm glad the boys pulled it off, and I'm glad the boys played a game like that because, you know, I wanted to see them tested. I don't know if I told you this, but I felt like the Bombers haven't been tested much, and Montreal brought, you know, that... The Bombers have been notorious for punching teams in the mouth and making things really difficult. Montreal gave the Bombers kind of a dose of their own medication, so to say, for lack of a better term. And I think the Bombers will be a better team for it. I think Montreal showed that they could play with just about anybody. So I think everybody got out of it what they wanted, to be honest with you. We'll touch on that game later on, but let's go through them in chronological order. First game of the week was the BC Lions and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Hamilton takes this one 26-18. Tough loss for BC. They came close at the end. They got a touchdown with about a minute left. They drove down the field at the end of the game, but they could just not get it finished off. Uh, Tough loss for the Lions in their playoff fight here because, you know, they still do have a chance. They play Calgary this week. If they win that game, they win in the final week while Calgary loses. I believe BC makes the playoffs. So there is still 
I mean, their destiny's kind of in their hands there, but it, it surely would have been helped a ton with a win this week over Hamilton. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting with BC because, you know, this isn't one of those where you can go, hey, you know, a point here, a point there, you know. It, usually it's like a large sample of games. I mean, I think back to a couple against Saskatchewan that they let get away um, at home, nonetheless, before that run of three games where they – you know, quite honestly, really weren't competitive. But I'll tell you something here now. The way that BC played this last week, I think if they played that this week against Calgary, and then for all intents and purposes, give yourself a chance in the last week of the season, um, you know, anything can happen. And I, I just really feel that you know, there's going to be some soul searching in BC if they do wind up missing, you know, the playoffs that game against Saskatchewan obviously comes to mind. Uh, I still can't even wrap my head around the fact how they, how they let that one get away. There was one other one, I think, earlier in the season. Uh, I think it was ironically enough against Saskatchewan where they let Saskatchewan get out to that big lead and then tried a huge combat, which just came up short and I think that's the infuriating part because we saw I think both sides of BC we saw what happens when you play so well but you know you put up the yard you you're entertaining to watch and then parts of this team you see the what the heck are these guys doing kind of thing and it, it's more confusing about like which PC team you're going to get. And, you know, is it the one that is competitive or is it the one that's, you know, three straight lopsided games where they're really not competitive? So, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, questions asked uh, in BC if they do not get in the playoffs. Do I think they will? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But I've seen crazier things happen. And, you know, the the one wild card in this whole thing, Ryan, and I, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I think the Bombers are going to have a large say in, in how this plays out. Because, as you remember, and as you know, we're going to Calgary next week for the last week of the season. If Calgary loses this one, all of a sudden it's, Raise on for that last playoff spot. And I think if you're Michael Shea, you take a long, hard look at playing your top guys and treating that as a playoff game, especially if there's something to play for for the uh, the Stampeders and the Lions. And you know what? Now it's just a matter of you've put yourself in this position as a result of previous results. Now you have to find a way to right the ship. And for BC, I think their defense has let them down a little bit this year, which is kind of surprising. But it's been nice to see that for the most part, they've been able to keep Mike O'Reilly upright. I really think that they found something at running back with uh, Butler. 
Uh, I'm not just saying that to do with a big benefit to uh, uh, my football pool this week, but uh, no, I, I just think I can see now why Shot Cooper was kind of the odd man out over there, and I'm just wondering... I'm just wondering what they actually view of this team. Is, is the pieces not working, period? Or are they just a few pieces short? And I, I'm, that's still a determination that I have to make, and I'm sure that management has to make. Uh, and it's also the first offseason of new ownership as well. So, you know, let, let, let's just see how this plays out. You have a chance until you don't have a chance. And until that... Uh, Chances zero. Don't tell any any of those guys in that locker room that they don't have a chance. But I'll tell you based on Michael Riley's reaction uh, last week. I don't know if you see, if you saw the last play and you know he was hunched down and kind of looking down. He knows they kind of let one slip away, and now let's just see where the chips fall. Yeah, I think this next week matchup between BC and Calgary is pro- is probably one of the most monumental games in terms of the overall impact on things of the 2021 season because, you know, you look at that final week schedule, as you mentioned, Calgary faces Winnipeg. Uh, BC faces Edmonton, who will be playing their third game in like seven days at that point. That should be a winnable game for BC. You have to think, you know, Whichever team, I, I'll say this, whoever wins this week's game between BC and Calgary, I think is making the playoffs. Uh, and it's going to come down to that. And I, I still think it is Calgary. I think BC is going to be a bit short here. Uh, but I, I do think the Lions have at least bounced back a little bit in the past couple of games. To You know, we saw, I think there was that three-game stretch where they had two against Winnipeg. They had one. Uh, against, I, I forget who in the middle there, uh, what was it? It was, uh, Calgary in the middle there where, where things just didn't look good for the Lions offense at all. Well, last week, Riley threw for almost 300 yards and, and three touchdowns. This game, he threw for 76% completion percentage, uh, 330 yards. You mentioned Butler got going on the ground. They got lucky Whitehead back involved. Uh, once again, uh, they had a new. They brought a new kicker in, and Nick Fogle, who hit both of his field goals. The defense did make a couple plays and shut things down a little bit. Uh, you know, it was just one of those weeks where they fell just short. And I think if you're talking about, do they need wholesale changes or or just some tinkering? I think it's just some tinkering. I think as you talked about, they have a lot of good pieces there in BC, and they're going to need to come bring their A game this week against Calgary to have a hope of making the playoffs. I want to talk about the Hamilton side of things here. And this is a team we've discussed in recent weeks seems to be one of those teams that just at the right time of the year has everything going for them. You know, Jeremiah Mazzoli is back on his game. A lot of the team is healthy. Uh, They found a run game in Don Jackson And now of all times, of course, add to that just the way it goes. Brandon Banks picks now to all of a sudden wake up and be the Brandon Banks we're used to seeing. Uh, Six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown for Banks. He also, you know, did a nice job in return duties as well. Uh, Just another piece to the puzzle that seems to be uh, coming together at the last minute for Hamilton. Uh, I think that's kind of what we were alluding to in the preseason uh, shows. It wasn't about the regular season for Hamilton. 
it was about getting things in gear because remember that opener and early on where the where the uh tie cats weren't necessarily doing very well. Um they had a lot of injuries, they had a lot of you know, question marks at quarterback. David Watford started a game. Uh, it easily looked like I never once felt like Hamilton's season was, you know, in jeopardy. And I, I hate to bring up the comparisons, but if you if you look at 2019, I kind of reference. The same kind of thing if you look at Winnipeg and Hamilton, except the inverse. Yeah, Winnipeg, Winnipeg having all that adversity to deal with, you know, early in the season and the quarterbacks and Straveler and the injuries, and then Hamilton just kind of cruising along, going about their business, uh, winning week after week, and the Bombers having to strap their way you know, into the playoffs, ultimately finishing third. You know, I can't help but look to see if there's comparisons over there, except for the inverse. See, that's a very interesting thought process, and I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. Because, uh, yeah, the Bombers certainly are in the 2019 Hamilton role as the favorites right now. And and this is a Ticats team that's now been on a roll in recent weeks. They, they've won a couple games in a row here. I think it might be three or four straight uh, for them. They sit right now second place in the East Division, one win back of Toronto. They've got a key matchup with the Argos this week uh, where uh, I believe it's whoever wins this game actually wins the season series, which could come uh, into crucial play in that final week. I, I think that... You know, the Argos obviously have the upper hand right now because they do have an extra win and there's only two weeks left in the season. But it's going to be a tight East division down the stretch. But certainly Hamilton, in my opinion, of the three teams, I feel like Hamilton's got to be my favorite because they have all of these things going for them. You know, Mazzoli didn't necessarily throw for over 350 yards, three touchdowns this week, but he still completed 73% of his passes, threw for over 250, uh, got a touchdown there. Also, you know, doing great in the run game again, a 6.7 yard average for Don Jackson, who was also really involved in the passing game. I mean, you want to talk about a, a boost for a team down the stretch. I think Don Jackson's provided that as good as anybody has. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, right? I mean, I, I think I said this last week where, you know, all that I need is, is opportunity. Uh, Don Johnson, whether it's in Calgary or or with Hamilton, it's like the, this is a guy waiting for his opportunity. They said, your opportunity is here. What do you choose to do with it? And he's walked right through the door he invigorated, I think, the missing piece of a Hamilton offense that would put them over the top. Because I think my question was, okay, it's one thing to have a quarterback. It's one thing to have well-talent receivers and a well-talent defense. But my question was the running uh, situation. Uh, as much as I'm high on Sean Thomas Erlington, he, to me, is having an up-and-down season inconsistently with the injuries and you know, one week he'll put up 120 yards, and the next week, you know, he'll put up 18, and that's no disrespect to him. But I'm glad they've been able to kind of find a running back that they can kind of, 
you know, put all facets together at once. And, you know, I'm just wondering, like, if Hamilton finishes first, does that give them the upper hand because they have to play one last game um, against arguably what I think is anybody's division, as I mentioned earlier? And Hamilton is just that much better now that they found some kind of running game now, but the weather's going to get colder. And, you know, we know how important a running game is in, in the playoff. It's, it's completely different football. And if you cannot run the football in the playoffs and you have a snowstorm the day of the game, which, you know, the conditions are not conducive to throwing the football and you don't have a running game, Especially in Hamilton, that stadium's off the lake. Uh, in in December, whether it's you know the East semifinal, East final, even the Grey Cup, there is probably going to be snow. It is probably going to be ugly. Now you have a, at least a running game that you can go to in when the time calls for it, and it helps with your. Uh, offensive ball control, it helps with your your offensive line, it helps get them set. Uh, and then, of course, you know, not to discount Sean Thomas Erlington, too, you have an option of multiple guys, but you could say, okay, we're going to run the ball at you all afternoon. What are you going to do about it? And if you stop us in the running game and we're able to throw the ball, yeah, cut much for that too, right? So, oh yeah, now they got a defense that's pretty, it's pretty good as well. Last I checked, so it, it's it's a good situation for Hamilton right now, as far as the comfort level with, you know, you know I think the running game was the, kind of the last kind of question mark, and I think that's been kind of put to bed in the last two weeks. Let's move on to the second game from Friday night. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Edmonton Elks 19-17. to uh, The final cap on a uh, dismal home season for the Elks here. Uh, zero wins at home. They're going winless at Commonwealth or the Brick Field or whatever it's called now. Uh, in Edmonton. Uh, certainly a tough pill to swallow for Elks fans, but I think this game, more than a lot of games they've seen there this year, uh, there was some fight from the local football club, at least, uh, that came down to the wire here at the end of the game. The Elks got close. And I'll tell you what, if you would have told me that uh, the following players would finish top two at their positions in fantasy points on the week, I would have called you nuts. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, at quarterback. Walter was the highest scoring quarterback of the week, I believe. Walter Fletcher was the second highest running back of scoring of the week. And uh, the craziest one of all, Danny Vandervoort, who picked up two touchdowns late in that game and 54 yards receiving, uh, was the second leading receiver just behind Brandon Banks on the week. So uh, a couple of younger guys here were inexperienced guys. Uh, getting some playing time for Edmonton and stepping up and having themselves a nice day. Yeah, the, there's a lot to be to be happy with. I think if you're Edmonton, despite the result, um, 
you know, you kept the number two team in, in the West within chess. Uh, we'll get to the Riders in a minute because I have I have some thoughts and feelings about that uh, that are well, are well known. But, you know, to me, this was Taylor Cornelius' last chance you know, the state disclaim on the number one job, which, which I don't think, honestly, he's going to get based on the contract extension that was tendered to Nick Arbuckle and subsequently signed. Um, that screams to me starter's money, but I, I certainly think he didn't hurt his cause to be that backup there next year. And if injury happens to... Um, if injury happens to hit, then he to be that number one guy. Um, but the other interesting scenario here too is uh, the running back situation. Like like you said, uh, everybody was making you know, ooh, James Wilder Jr., James Wilder Jr. Now all of a sudden there might be another running back uh, able, just as capable of carrying the mail. And I'm going to use my old line. Running bats are a dime a dozen, just like at BC. You know, they they really shot Cooper because they felt that Butler was also a much a serviceable option. So I'm not saying they're going to release James Wilder Jr., but yes, it's great that, you know, you have options at running back. And now the real question is, being if, if you're Edmonton, you're going on a three, I think I saw it's like, 12-day road trip with three games or something like that. Their director of communications was outlaying the itinerary on his Twitter account. And yeah, I, three games in six days. Yeah, so three games in six days, and then they're on the uh, on the road for the front. Yeah, so it's about an eight-day trip, and I can't even remember how many kilometers. Um uh, Quite a lot. And it's going to really see as part of the evaluation. You know, I understand it's three games in six days and that whole kind of thing. But now you see what players are really, really made of when it's, you know, push comes to shove. And there will be jobs won and lost based on this stretch. Uh, you're making an impact for next year. Uh, do something on the tape for the coaches to consider you bringing you back. Because, quite honestly, this is one of the teams where I could see the most roster turnover given other than a few pieces. Make your impact known and why you want to be on this team next year. Give them a reason to bring you back. There was a lot of opportunity with a, with the short period of time. And I think Edmonton is also getting some roster exemptions where they can dress a few more players than normal, just given the circumstances. Hey, if you're in a jersey, it's best to play. And if it's one play, make that play count. Get that play on tape. Be it. And I'm not saying people haven't been team leaders or anything like that, but a road trip for management is the integral part of, 
identifying the future, who these people are off the field, what they are like on the field. So there, this is a heavy evaluation period about who's coming back and who's staying. Make it count. Yeah, I'm interested to see how Edmonton's going to manage these uh, this tight three games in six days here because – uh, so far early this week, it seems like Taylor Cornelius is still practicing with the first team offense. Uh, Nick Arbuckle has started practicing, you know, with the twos and the threes, but, uh, Cornelius is, you know, practicing with the starters. There's been talk, you know, how do you manage Arbuckle the rest of the year? If you bring him in, you sign him to that new one-year contract for next season, presumably to be your starter, as you suggested, do you throw him in here? Like, I don't think you throw Arbuckle in here for the final three games of the year, zero preparation time and then three games in six days. I don't think that's advised, but surely you don't leave Cornelius in here for all three. You got to mix Arbuckle in for at least one of these three next games, I would assume. And I'm interested to see the rest of the roster as well, what they do in that situation. You know, you've got guys like uh, Wilder Jr., like Ellingson, like Darrell Walker, who all missed the past game, you know, uh, how are they going to factor them into a, a tight schedule, especially with a lot of the veterans on this team? I think, as you mentioned, we're going to see some younger guys step up and get some playing time in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm, inter- I'm excited to see what they do with time like that, because as I mentioned, uh, you know, guys like Walter Fletcher and Daniel Vandervoort, who really haven't gotten a whole lot of a lot of tries this year to show what they're made of uh, produced pretty well in the games they played here. Uh, you, you talked about, you know, roster overall haul for next season. One of the difficult situations Edmonton's in right now is it sound, you know, a lot of people are calling for, you know, change at the general manager position at the coach position after this season. Uh, it seems like Edmonton might not really even be able to make a, such a change because uh, Brock Sunderland, Jamie Elizondo are both under contract, I, I believe, for next season already. And the CFL has that, uh, you know, salary cap on personnel staff now where depending on the contract situation, they may not be able to let these guys go and bring in a uh, bring in a, a new, you know, solid option at coach or at general manager. So uh, the Elks may be stuck with the duo that they have right now. And uh, I- I'm wondering what they're going to do in the offseason then to shape this team for next year. Well, here's the thing, and I'll just add this very quickly because I know I went on a I, – I did a lot of rambling about this earlier. Um, Edmonton is a community-owned team. The finances in the CFL aren't in the greatest of shape in a general sense, unless you're one or two or three teams. But I would say even those teams' finances might be down. What is the appetite under the circumstances for the board of directors to, if those two gentlemen are under contract, pay two guys? Because a contract is still a contract, whether you, whether you remove a coach or whether he's coaching for you until those guys, depending on the opt-outs and all the clauses in the contract, apparently some people have it in their contract where if they move on to be another a coach with another team, something about their salary becomes 
percentages last. But that being said, I'm not sure Edmonton has the um, the willingness to, to pay for a coach or a general manager who is not uh, coaching or being their general manager. And I guess my bigger question is, do you feel that given a quote-unquote normal off-season would, I guess, give these guys a second chance and maybe things get better? Or are things just that bad, have gone that badly, the business has not been good enough as far as selling tickets and all that kind of stuff and you worry about your bottom line for you know 2022 if you bring those two guys back you know it's a lot to wait you don't want to pay two coaches but you also you want to make sure that you do not send the wrong message to your ticket paying public and to your sponsors and I think that this goes deeper than just the COVID outbreak, which we've seen in sports before, and those teams are never really quite the same for obvious reasons when they take the field. It's it's a it's an interesting scenario. Do you bring those two guys back under the circle? I know what I would do, but what's management gonna do? And I just, I'm not sure if they have the appetite to pay two people uh, right now to not coach for them or, you know, bring in new coaches. And and we'll see. We'll see. It might just be a better bit of a doubt scenario, but I'm glad I'm not the one making that decision because this goes higher than those two if this doesn't work out this offseason. And then they start next year along the same kind of pattern. So, yeah, you want to talk about two guys on the hot seat. A third guy might be on the hot seat uh, next year if things don't start according to plan. And then you basically accomplish nothing if you have a season like what you had this year next year. Do I think that's going to happen two years in a row? I'm No, I, I don't. I think Edmonton's going to be better. Uh, I think there's something there with Net Arbuckle, I really do. And now it's about surrounding him with the right talent. And, you know, Craig Ellison and James Wilder Jr. and Darrell Walker and all those types of guys did not just forget how to play football overnight. Those are good football players. There's some kind of disconnect that I haven't quite figured out, and you have to figure out is that this connect because of your coach and your general manager? Because to be honest with you, and I love Darrell Walker as a player, he has really disappointed me this season. Um, and and I, I think that that kind of reigns the sentiment of a lot of people in Edmonton. It disappointing year for all involved. Mm-hmm. How do you plan to recover from this? How do, how do you look at this in the lens of, Everybody involved. It's not an easy decision if they want to bring everybody back because they feel they deserve a certain a certain chance because of circumstances that they feel are out of control. I can live with that. If they want to make a coaching change and a general manager change, I can live with that as well. 
But I, for one, would not want to be making this decision because it goes far beyond what's happened on the football field, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Let's move on and talk about the Riders in this game. Uh, you know, the Riders still seemingly struggling to get things uh, ticking offensively. And, and, you know, they brought in Duke Williams a couple weeks ago. We expected him to be, you know, a game-breaking receiver for them. But uh, if anything, perhaps, you know, he's been worth the value of bringing him in just from his ability to recover onside kicks another one late in this game uh he's the he's the best guy there is when it comes to uh recovering the onside kicks uh holds on for the win here for the riders uh they pull out the win they're likely going to be hosting the west division uh semifinals uh for either calgary or bc visiting i think maybe calgary can still tie in the standings and has the tiebreaker so what the the you know one Saskatchewan win or one Calgary loss would do it though uh, to clinch it. Uh, safe to say they're probably going to end up with the West semifinal at home. And uh, now these next couple of games are kind of, you know, get ready for playoff mode because you're going to have a tough battle in that West division. And I, I want to see some, uh, some better ball from some of these guys on the offensive side of the ball. I think the defense uh, you know, is still performing decently well here. They only, they held Edmonton to under 20 points, uh, despite, you know, one of Edmonton's better offensive days. But you seem like you have some concerns from this game for Saskatchewan. So uh, the mic is yours. Tell us what's well, up. Yeah, well, here's, here's my concern. Uh, it's been a concern all year for me. It, it's the running game. Um they seem fixated on the fact, and trust me, I know a lot of people that are Ryder fans who are not going to like me when they listen to this podcast, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Where is your running game? What is the plan offensively? Is the plan to throw 35 yards every play because you got game-breaking receivers who aren't catching the football right now? Like, I'm lost as to what your offensive game plan is every week. You have a running back in William Powell you don't seem to want to use for whatever reason. Uh, you have an offensive line that for the most part was in shambles all year, has trouble, you know, keeping your quarterback upright because he's under pressure every single time. So he literally steps back, throws 30 yards, and, you know, you can't catch most of those balls. And then you have a very, very serviceable running back, if you ask me, in William Powell. You have an option in moral if, if, if worse comes to worse. But, you know, these playoffs, it, it's just, like, to me, you cannot flip a switch with the way you call uh, games. You call games the way you call games, uh, scheme and play-wise. Now, I, I don't want to sound like I'm so down on the riders because they've won four in a row, but what is the plan offensively? Is it, you know, five yards, five yards, five yards, or is it deep throws, which, you know, we all know Cody Fajardo has had trouble completing, and the problem is, you have committed to him financially to be your franchise quarterback, 
and I don't think they're putting him in a position to be successful. Um, Cody Pajardo, when he had that great year two years ago, I think he had a great year, he had a running game but was able to supplement what he was doing. Right now, basically, you have told the teams, we're going to throw the ball 95% of the time. The teams know what's coming. You have this occasional deep bomb that, you know, gets you a touchdown. You put this one or two drives together. You're playing a team like Edmonton, but because your offense is kind of stagnant for a large portion of the game, is able to hang around. Your defense bails you out of a lot of games. Duke Williams has, you know, three onside kick recoveries in three weeks. Like, I just want to see something different from Saskatchewan offensively because I know they can do it. I know if they want to run the ball, they're going to run the ball. It's going to make them successful in the long term. If they don't trust that offensive line to open holes for the running back, well, then that's another whole situation. And by the way, can I just mention something as well? I think that given everything that's gone on in Saskatchewan, injury-wise, all those guys with the Achilles injuries, you know, to start the year and dies on the Stitch team that we haven't even heard of and dies that they hadn't even seen, Craig Dickinson deserves some serious consideration for Coach of the Year. I know there's a football team here that went, that's on the verge of maybe going, you know, 12 and 2, 11 and 1, 10 and 3, whatever. But to me, given everything that's happened, Saskatchewan this year, all the injuries, all the adversity, I think it's time to give Craig Dickinson some consideration for Coach of the Year, given everything that's going on over there. And I just want Saskatchewan to find a running game to take some of the pressure off Cody Pajardo because I feel they're not putting them in a position to be successful. And other defenses are feeding off of that, and they're teeing off, and they're preparing for the pass, and they're defending the pass so well, minus a player two. All I'm saying here, add some semblance of a running game Take the pressure off your quarterback, trust your offensive line, and things will go okay in the playoffs. Take some pressure off your defense. They have had to make game-stopping drives the last few weeks. Win a 10-point game. Win a 13-point game. Control the ball. Play like you did in those first two weeks because I know you can do it. And I think the Riders have a very good chance of beating the Bombers if they take the pressure off themselves, find a running game, and actually just trust one another and take all that pressure off the defense. Yeah, my 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 concern with the Riders offense this week is looking at the target chart here. Uh, Shaq Evans, six catches on 12 targets. Uh, you know, this is a guy they were excited to have back from injury and, and certainly they're trying to get him involved in the offense a whole ton, but if you're averaging, you know, 50% completion to a guy, 
it, it kind of appalls me a little bit that you keep going to him so often that he gets 12 targets in a game. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that, that on the final drive to really put the game away and get them into, you know, victory formation, they go to Evans uh, once again, and they, they do complete a crucial pass there. But it's kind of interesting that, you know, up to that point, he's five for 11, less than 50 percent. Uh, completion targeting his way uh, and that you go back to him again in that situation, but they do get it done there. Uh, You mentioned the deep balls, you know, the longest completion on the day was a 38 yard pass to Duke Williams. Uh, Braden Lenius also had a 22 yarder uh, as well for the riders. So yeah, I agree with you. I I need to see a bit more of a run game from them, take some pressure off Fajardo and, uh, I think, you know, maybe just try not to force the deep ball, keep managing those shorter passes, get the run game involved, and you should be able to have success if you are the riders. It certainly helps when your defense has held teams in the past three games to under 20 points. Let's move on to the third game of the week. Uh, This was a game that took some people by surprise, myself included. Uh, when all of a sudden Ottawa jumped out to the big lead in this game, uh, but Toronto does come back and win 23 to 20. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I think the sky would have fallen in Toronto if they did lose this game. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson did not look good for at least three quarters of it was at like 120 yards passing and three interceptions. Uh, ended up turning it on late in this game and uh, did go for 293 and a touchdown. Led them to the comeback victory here. Uh, but certainly not necessarily a confidence-inducing game for a team that sits first place in the East Division and uh, is in the thick of a playoff race here. Yeah. Um, it took a while to get going. Uh, you know... Scott Hodges didn't necessarily have the greatest debut. There were, it seemed to me, some turnovers that buoyed Ottawa's start. Um, I, I wonder, I seriously wonder what the, oh boy, we better get moving moment was in this football team because I can't even imagine the repercussions of a loss and the shot waves that that would have sent if the Ardos would have lost this football game. And I'm not saying their season would have been doom and gloom, but there would have been a whole lot more questions than what we're asking right now. But that being said, it's impressive that they were able to pit themselves up off the mat, settle themselves down, put a couple drives together, get back in the game, and at the end of the day, the right team won. It just wasn't exactly how they drew it up. And I want to see how they follow up, uh, you know, with the, with their Nets team. And just see, because it seems to be this one good game, one bad game, one mediocre game kind of scenario with them. They're in first place. Uh, right now, the difference really uh, why the Ardos are in first place is because of that win over the Blue Bombers. You take that lot, you take that game out to the Bombers, and everything would pretty much be tied. That is the one difference right now, or one of the differences that they're in first place. And they've also added some talent around what is a really good team and have become better. 
sports. And they seem to have found their quarterback. And you know how I feel about McCoy Bethel-Thompson. I'm not sold on the guy. He threw, you know, a bunch of interceptions in this one and still found a way to win. So is there a positive out of that? I think so. But now they need to put together uh, an inspiring effort to save it. You know what? Last week wasn't pretty, but we still won. This is who we really are. Yeah, the the Argos put up 431 yards of offense. Ottawa put up 233. The Argos had the ball for about 10 more minutes in this game, and yet uh, it was Toronto rallying late in this one to pull out a win by a field goal. Uh, Boris Beatty, five, five field goals made again this week for him. Uh, certainly not the offensive output the Argos were looking for, but as you mentioned, kudos to them for getting it done late in this game. Uh, one, one guy that kind of stood out and had a breakout performance this one is a third string running back, AJ Olette. Uh, no DJ Foster this week for Toronto. So John White got the start. Uh, White ended up going down with injury and Olette came in and, uh, 14 carries 107 yards was a huge piece of why this team was successful late in this game. Uh, and that's just kind of, a you know, the next man up mentality. Another guy there who we did see a bit of play from him, I think, in 2018 or 2019 with the Argos getting a couple of starts there. And, and I think he's a good option at running back as well. So I'm interested to see how Toronto manages this down the stretch and, and in the playoffs and certainly the injuries play into it a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited to see who's going to be the starting running back this week. I think John White will probably be out due to injury after leaving this last game. Looks like DJ Foster's practicing again, uh, but we could, even with one guy out, still see a successful dual back system for the Argos this week. Uh, you mentioned getting some help brought in. Uh, Jawan Breskison returned from injury. You remember he went down in that game here in Winnipeg back in week two, I think it was. Uh, returned to the lineup and another former Calgary receiver being brought in this week. Uh, Josh Huff released earlier in the week by the Stampeders and uh, goes out to Calgary East, uh, AKA Toronto, because like 90% of this team is former Stampeders. What, what did the Argo so, uh, social media team put? The Toronto Stampeders or something like that? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Huff? First of all, Huff being released by Calgary because they've been on a bye week this week, so we haven't had a chance to talk about that. Uh, and what do you make of uh, Toronto bringing him in? I'm not sure, to be honest with you, what to make of the Josh Huff situation. If there was a, you can claim it to be tap situations. Um, if you want to be polite and you don't want to throw a diet at a bus. But to me, this is a world-class talent. This is a, for me anyway, a top 10 receiver in the CFL when 29 all-cylinders. I have to ask the question, what really happened? Because this is a move that does not make sense to me one bit. And I know that you brought in, you know, a couple guys with NFL experience during this bye week, and, and that's all cool. But at the expense of Josh Huff, I asked the question again, what really happened here? 
now and now there were some there was some talk around uh you know speculation among a lot of people well uh what is his vaccination status is he vaccinated uh because remember you know unvaccinated players can't travel in the playoffs with their teams and won't be able to play uh, i believe it was danny austin in calgary corrected that situation and said no josh huff is vaccinated so if that's a reason people are wondering into this, that is that is not what played into this situation, uh, presumably. I, I think it was just a cap casualty. You're going to start Reggie Bangleton. You got to take an American receiver out uh, in order to do so. Um, you know, you could then make the argument, should it be Josh Huff? Should it be Mark Heath Amples uh, that comes out of the starting lineup? I, I think it was just, you know, Huff was maybe one of the, the higher paid receivers for Calgary and they felt like they just had younger guys who are producing well enough that they didn't need to pay them anymore because you're, you, you look at Calgary, you know, every week they've got like seven guys catching the ball. They've got backups that are producing. Uh, so yeah, I think it makes sense to me, even though it was a bit of initial uh, initial shock uh, for Calgary to release him because I think he has been one of their better receivers uh, but I do like the move for Toronto to bring them in. You know, they've had a bit of a rotation at the receiver position. They've been missing, you know, Eric Rogers for a number of weeks. They, they had a, they've rotated a couple new guys in, in the last couple of games, Trez Anderson, uh, one of them who produced well in this one, uh, another piece of the puzzle there. And another guy that Ryan Dinwiddie is familiar with from in Calgary. So I like that addition for Toronto who uh, are definitely going to be looking for a better overall game this week than uh, they had against Ottawa in this one. But I want to flip over and talk about the Ottawa side of this game. Uh, Mike, things things did not look great uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, kudos to the Red Blacks for this being a close game and having the lead. I just I can't fathom how they didn't get this one done. But Duck... Hodges gets his first start for the Red Blacks. He played a little bit in a backup role the past couple of weeks. This is a guy that many had brought in, many had thought, you know, is being brought in as a future starter for this team, signed to a three-year contract, as you mentioned on the podcast last week, started some time with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the NFL a couple of years ago. 36.4 completion percentage for 90 yards for Duck Hodges in this game. Uh, certainly not the debut you're looking for from a quarterback you signed for three years. Yeah, obviously not the way to make your CFL debut to inspire any confidence. I, I will say um, that was signed by the previous general manager with Probably consultation from the assistants, but the alternate ultimate final decision was made by the general manager who's no longer there. I can see why this would cause some consternation amongst, you know, Red Black Nation about, okay, we signed this guy for three years, and this is what we did the first team. Yeah, it would cause me to... Um, question a few things as well to be honest but you know what I, I think you need to give it time I think they've said okay we commit to this guy as a quarterback in our program it may have taken a three year commitment to get him to come it's commendable given the opportunity but you know 
Doc Hodges wants to wind up staying for three years. I, I can't ever recall that happening. Um, it's interesting, but he would commit to that. Uh, for that length of time, when, when the guy, you know, has had looks in the NFL. But I said this two weeks ago. The three-year contract to me says that they view him not necessarily as a starter, but as a piece of their as a piece of their future, whether that's in a backup role or in a starter's role, remains to be seen with me. But I also think that there isn't necessarily the talent around them, uh, minus Devontae Debman and a few other pieces uh, that I've mentioned in recent weeks. Um, but this game is a whole lot worse offensively if you take out the kick return by Devontae Debman. You know, it's one thing to put up points. It's another to put up points with your special teams. And to me, we we saw why Devontae Debman is one of the most electrifying players in the CFL with that one play. To me, I'm not overly worried just getting back to Hodges about what, the, what we saw from Hodges. I think they need some time to work with him. I think they need some time to get more talent around them. And I don't think you can make a judgment on your quarterbacks until you have evaluated everything around them. Was it a great start? No. Can it get better? Absolutely, I think it can. Now we get to my favorite part of the weekly show where I just get to spend a minute gushing over my favorite player in the CFL. And yes, I am a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan, tried and true. But hands down, my favorite current player in the CFL is Devontae Dedman. And it's, I think it's pretty reasonable why, because he is the most exciting man in the CFL. And he did it once again this week, opening kickoff of the second half, a hundred yard touchdown return for Dedman, setting the CFL record for fastest in the career to hit five return touchdowns with 15 games. That's every third game he's bringing one to the house. And, you know, there was great video that came out this week of uh, after this game of, you know, him saying at halftime that he was ready to make a play in the second half, that he was going to do it. And uh, sure enough, opening kick, he's like, just, I just want them to kick it to me. Come on, kick it to me. And sure enough, he brings it back uh, for the opening uh, half touchdown. A guy we talked about last week, they brought back for another season. Uh, This has got to be a guy that's an integral piece of the team going forward. I love Devontae Dedman. If I was ever to get a uh, jersey from another team that isn't uh, my my Bombers, I I would get a Devontae Dedman Ottawa jersey because uh, favorite player to watch play so exciting to watch and a part of a, a you know Ottawa's had a bad year but the special teams crew in Ottawa is very very good and if there's a promising sign for what this team has done right coming into next year is they've locked up Devonte Deadman they've locked up punter Richie Leone and I think it was this week they locked up put kicker Lewis Ward now Ironically enough, after they did so, Ward ended up uh, missing three field goals in a bit of an uncharacteristic uh, scenario here for him. But uh, those are three huge pieces. The special teams game is ready to go for next year for Ottawa. Now whoever's in at general manager can focus the offseason on how do I improve the offense? How do I improve the defense? 
Yeah, it's very, uh, you know, credit. They, they made this a game. They made it difficult. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, what the future holds. And their management types that are in there right now have made a great, uh, a great job making a first impression, re-signing some very uh, valuable pieces to that team, and we'll see. And I think it was just a matter of, if I understand the context of your of your question correctly, um, that you know the defense was kind of worn out toward the end, and Toronto kind of imposed their will, and 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 I think it's a byproduct of their offense not really accomplishing much and just did a little more balance and they'll be fine. Well, let's move on to the final game of the week. The Montreal Alouettes in Winnipeg face the Bombers. Bombers pull this one out 31 to 21, uh, go perfect at home on the 2021 season. Uh, can't remember the last time they did that. I think it was sometime in the seventies or the eighties that they had done so uh great season capped off with a great game here and this was one of the more exciting bomber games to watch i i think not not that the games haven't been exciting i've i've enjoyed watching you know the local football club uh you know hammer teams uh and win favorably that's been fun uh probably not as fun for you know teams uh, or fan the other eight fan bases around the league uh, but this was a fun game to watch across the board because this was a tight matchup and, and you had the feeling in this one, you know, it was close. Uh, it was a tie game going into the fourth quarter and uh, you got the sense that this is what we could see potentially, you know, in, in a playoff type matchup uh, for Winnipeg here. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on this game? I, as I said earlier in this show, loved to see this game. I loved that the Bombers were pushed. I thought the Bombers were pushed for the first time in a number of weeks on some areas. Uh, Montreal, to me, and I think I said this earlier in the podcast, took a page out of Winnipeg's book to make sure that Winnipeg was ready to play this game. Um, yeah, it wasn't pretty at points. And 21, people seem to think, oh, giving up 21 points is... You know, still pretty good in today's GFL, which, which it is. But when you have that defense that's consistently in the teens and then low teens and sometimes even single digits, twenty-one to be like a bit of a like a bit of a shock. But this to me was a reality check for the Bombers that it kind of keeps them motivated. I would have had a big problem. As much as I want to see the Bombers win 45 nothing every week, if you think you can come in and you can win a game 45 nothing every week, I don't, I think you signed up for the wrong profession because that doesn't happen all that often. And I'm just glad that the Bombers were in a competitive game because to be honest with you, and I haven't done the math, how many times have the Bombers come into the fourth quarter of the game with the game legitimately in question? I would say there's seven or eight or nine games that the Bombers have had 
maybe a little less than that, maybe three or four or five, who knows, where the result really hasn't been in question in the fourth quarter. There hasn't been many games either where the defense has required a stand in the last minutes of games because the games have been so early early or been decided so early. So there, there was more good than bad. And I think this is the kind of game where it keeps the Bombers coming back. Yes, we gave up 21 points, but yes, it's something to work on because we want to give up zero every week. I know that's impossible, but that's the way Michael Shea had those guys thinking. And even when they give up seven or eight points, it's we gave up too many yards. We should have tackled the guy when we had the opportunity and, you know, cut that 10-yard play out. This is getting to the mini-gritty requirement of perfect. And when they mean perfect, they mean perfect. No missed tackles, uh, no drop balls, no turnovers, none of that stuff. Absolutely perfect. And the reality is you can strive for that, but it's not going to happen more times than not. I'm just glad this team was pushed, and I think this solidifies my case that Montreal is going to be something to be reckoned with uh, at season's end. And I think we saw Trevor Harris have a much better performance than the last time he was here. All in all, Bombers pulled it off. I wanted to see that under a little bit of stress. And yes, I was uh, a little bit curious how that was going to go there in the fourth quarter. Having not watched the game and very appreciative of your updates. All in all, I think this is a game that Michael Shaitan said, we were tested. Let's go back and let's be better next week because I think they will be, and I think that's the scary thing for Montreal. And we'll see what the roster looks like this week. I have no idea who's going to Montreal and who's not. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting factor for me this week in the rematch. Well, yeah, so you were talking about games that, you know, the Bombers have kind of locked down going into the fourth. It's pretty easy to do so when you don't give up points in the fourth quarter. You know, any sort of lead kind of feels like a comfortable lead uh, going into the final stretch of the game when you are the way you are. Uh, you know, and it was the same thing kind of again this week. It was like, okay, well, this is a pretty tight game. Oh, tied going into the third quarter. Okay, yeah, Bombers are probably going to pull out the win in this one. You never know. I mean, Montreal did definitely uh, put up some surprises in this game. I, I'm thinking, you know, right out at the, I think it was start of the third quarter or end of the second quarter uh, where, yeah, right at the start of the third quarter where Montreal kind of, you know, a couple big plays and then boom touchdown to uh, start off the the second half there uh, and I think take the lead at that point so it's a, we saw some good things uh, from Montreal in this one uh, you also have to make note you know the Bombers zero points in the fourth quarter yet again I think it's still like six points only allowed all season there they give up 21 points on the day but seven of those did come from a fumble recovery so that's not a knock on a defense and I think crazy enough that it actually might be the first defensive touchdown scored against Winnipeg all season. I can't recall another one that's happened this year. I feel like that's very rare to happen this late in the season. So defense only gave up 14 points in this one and none in the uh, the fourth quarter once again. So I, I have no problems 
particularly with the defensive performance. You know, the, the track they've been on was just unsustainable, and it's amazing they've sustained it for as long as they have this year. But I want to talk about the Montreal side of this matchup because uh, I'm interested to see what this looks like down the stretch for the Owlets. Yes, Trevor Harris had some bright spots in this one, two passing touchdowns, not an easy feat against Winnipeg. Uh, but 56, 56% completion percentage, 177 yards. He threw a couple picks late in this game. Uh, we're getting down the stretch drive of Montreal. They've made the playoffs. They're probably, you know, they're going to finish. I don't know if they're going to win the division. I, I see them finishing second or third. Let's assume everybody's healthy. What is your rankings of quarterbacks? for Montreal first, second, and third of who you want as your starter going into the playoffs. So which, which, for the sake of this exercise, which quarterbacks are we talking about? Trevor Harris, Matt Schultz, and Vernon Adams Jr. Assume they're all healthy. What order would you want them as your starter going in the playoffs? This is just me. I would start Matt Schultz, then Vernon Adams, then Trevor Harris. And the reason I say that is I saw some confidence and I saw some swagger from Matt Schiltz coming in after B.A. left the game there to come back and win the game and lead the team to that game-winning drive. I let the team following that one half where he lost his starting job, couldn't basically, unless... Actually, I think now that but now that was injury. Now that I think about it, um, but he didn't really put himself in position to be taken off the field, minus the injury. My concerns with Vernon Adams stretch along the same lines as what I have with Cody Pajardo. He can have these great games. And then he just makes these deep throws that make you go, why is he doing that? Um, I think it's buoyed by one of the best running backs in the CFL, I'll just say it right now, and William Stambat. But I also feel that Schultz has that, that it factor right now. And the, the guys seem to respond very well to him. He is in that position where, unfortunately, he cannot make a mistake because of the guys that are around him. And I think, in turn, that makes him make smarter decisions with the football, knowing that, okay, a couple interceptions, I got two guys with CFL pedigree behind me. And Vernon Adams, yes, he's the guy, I think, for the future, uh, but when all was said and done, because I really do not see a situation where where Trevor Harris resigns in, in Montreal just based on the money. I don't think you can pay two quarterback starters money. Well, my, well I, I believe he's under contract for next year. Yeah, but my my I just my beef, if you were to ask me about a playoff game, is he has not been around. Uh, long enough around Montreal. He, he's a veteran guy, but I think there's something to be said about going with a quarterback that's 
known the room for a while. And maybe I'm off base with that. And maybe I'm just basing that on Trevor Harris's performance in Edmonton uh, this year, which may or may not be his fault. And then a, a, a performance against a, a very good Winnipeg team. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading that. But for for me, I would seriously look to starting Matt Schultz in, in a in a playoff game, and if that doesn't go well, then then you go to one of those other two guys. But may, maybe I'm off base. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky for me, the rankings, because I see merit to all of them. I think Vernon Adams Jr. is the best quarterback on this roster, and if he is healthy, and, and I'll admit, I don't know what his health, you know, his injury status is uh, for the playoffs this year. I assume he's out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, I think he's best quarterback on the roster, but do you want him after missing so much time to all of a sudden come in for a playoff game out of nowhere uh, when you do have some of these other options available that I'm not so sure on Uh, Matt Schultz has been, you know, around for longer than Trevor Harris with the team. He had a couple good weeks there, as you mentioned, Uh, could be a good play there. But then you also have to think about what does Trevor Harris typically do in the playoffs? He lights it up. Uh, he puts up these massive performances come playoff times, regardless of the, of what team he's on. Uh, so I think there is merit there. I think any three of these guys I could see being, you know, a reasonable starter come playoff time for this team. And I'm interested to see down the stretch, uh, what this looks like for the Owlettes, but, uh, Yes, they got the loss this week, but certainly they gave the Bombers more fits than uh, most teams have this season. And that's encouraging for a Montreal team that, uh, as you talked about earlier, I think is as dangerous as anybody uh, to go on and uh, make some noise in the East Division playoffs this year. Yeah, I I, I, I said this all along. I said... Montreal will be there when all is said and done. And and I stand by that statement based on what I saw this week. And that second and third place game in the East, whoever plays, to me, that's a toss-up. To me, if it's Hamilton, okay, yeah, Hamilton's probably favorite based on the way they're playing. Why can't Montreal beat the Argos? Right? It's, it's, it's almost like a circle, right? You get the bye. The other two do battle, and now you come to the to the team with the bye. I, I am very bullish on Montreal. I remain to be very bullish on Montreal, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but why can't Montreal win the East Division? They put a pretty darn good performance together this past week, and it was, it was some mental mistakes that, that cost them. Why can't Montreal win this East Division? I'm going to say that. Every every week going into the playoffs, why can't Montreal win the East? I I feel that they're not getting the respect that that they deserve, and maybe I'm a little bit of a you know drinking around Kool Aid or who knows what. But I have been bullish on Montreal this whole season on this podcast, and I will continue to say that the Montreal Alouettes, if they finish third, will be a serious serious problem for the East Division. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that division's a toss-up uh, between the three teams in the playoffs. So let's move on 
Uh, to wrap up the show here, we'll do our uh, fantasy updates and uh, then get into our picks for the next week. Uh, in the Canadian Football Fantasy, in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, uh, I took on uh, Joe Pritchard from the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast last week and did pick up a win. Uh, had the highest score of everybody on the week, ninety-two point six points. Uh, improved to 10 and four on the season, uh, with the tiebreaker, uh, moved up into first place, uh, still tied with Andrew from the turf district, but, uh, ahead by two points in the overall point leaderboard on the season have officially clinched, uh, a top two spot in the league, which means I do get a first round by like the local football club here in Winnipeg and need just one win in December to go on to the championships. We'll see if I can do it this week. I take on the defending champ, uh, Safamod from the Piffles podcast uh, in our week 15 matchup. So uh, make sure you check out the Rouge, White and Blue podcast, the Piffles podcast, and all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our little fantasy league between Mike and I, uh, things were trending my direction in recent weeks, but, uh, well, things uh, fell off the rails. Uh, I got blown out this week. Uh, you know, my one true or my only two producers to put up over 10 points were Jeremiah Mazzoli and Curly Gittins Jr. Uh, on the contrary, Mike had everybody but two players in his lineup put over 10 points. Uh, 144.5 to 83.6 is uh, my, how Mike beat me this week, pulling ahead by 21 points in the overall standings with two weeks to go. Uh, Got to feel pretty good there, doesn't it, Mike? Yes, pretty good, but I'm also worried because I've been warned there are major changes coming. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a whole roster overhaul this week to, to get ready for the final two weeks of the year. Coach isn't happy, and that is not good news for me. So we'll see. <laughs> it's coming down to the wire, just like it did last time we did this two years ago. So we'll see who takes the win in the overall standings with two weeks to go. Uh, let's get into our pick em for week number 15 and uh, also for the first game of week 16 because the Elks do and the Argos do play their makeup game from I think like week four uh, on Tuesday night next week. We record Wednesday mornings, so we're going to do the pick this week and we'll recap that one on next Wednesday. Uh, perfect 4-0 week for me last week. Uh, do you remember what your record was, Mike? Uh, I feel like you picked an upset somewhere in there. Yeah, I was three and one. I'm, I missed out on Ottawa. You were close though. You, you, and the week before, I think you took BC for the upset that was so close. You've been right there on the upsets this season, uh, just falling a bit short. Let's get to our picks for week number fifteen. We'll, uh, we'll have Mike go and guess the pick trend for each of these uh, as part of it. Uh, you know, uh, what percentage of people uh, who uh, fans picked in which direction. And of course, we'll make our picks as well. So let's start off with the big East Division matchup, Toronto hosting Hamilton. Mike, what's the trend and what's your pick? I'm going to say sit, set, sorry. I'm going to say 70-30 for Hamilton. 74-26, you're starting off strong. Okay, okay. I think a lot of this in the pet trend, Ryan, has to do with the uninspired confidence that the Ardos put forth to the general public last week. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. And this is the follow-up 
This is a statement, Damon. I think the winner of this game wins the East. I really do. So who are you taking? I am going to take Hamilton. They just have a lot going right, but um, I know they're on the road with this game. Um, Toronto's in foreign territory. No disrespect to them. Um, I, I just think Hamilton's going to find a way to pull one out here. There's just way too much veteran experience to uh, discount them. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to go out and say under a touchdown, but Hamilton pulls it out. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I'm taking the Thai Cats as well. I think they're uh, playing as the better football team right now in recent weeks. And uh, I want to see a bounce back for McLeod Bethel Thompson, but he faces a tough Thai Cats defense. So I'm going to go Hamilton in this one in a close game as well. Next game is the crucial West Division playoff matchup between Calgary and BC. The game's in BC. Uh, what's the pick trend and where are you going? Pitchen 75-25 for Calgary. 86-14 to 14 Calgary. I, I can't understand that one. Maybe they look at the, the, the Stampeder history coming off a bye. Um, who knows? It's been very, very good. I, I think there's a... I, I do not believe that there's a lot of people that trust the BC Lions at this point. Uh, just based on recent performances. This is my upset for the week. I'm pitching the Lions at home by more than seven. Wow. I, I like what I saw from BC last week for a large portion. I think they finally found a running game. I think Mike O'Reilly settled in nicely, and somebody made some big play defensively to return a defensive score, and I think the BC Lions do just enough to hold off Calgary. And then that brings it down to a very interesting final week of the season. I'm going with the Stampeders even on the road here. I think, uh, as you mentioned, Calgary coming off a bye is normally pretty good. I also think just the Stampeders are the better football team right now. And uh, they get the addition of Reggie Bagleton, which only makes you better. Uh, Trey Roberson uh, got back into the lineup last game is now uh, you know second game for him. Uh, that defense has really tightened things up for the Stampeders since earlier this year. So I like Calgary to take this one and end BC's playoff hopes. Uh, then on Saturday, we get two rematches from the week before. Uh, in Montreal, the Alouettes hosting the Bombers. What's the trend here? 80-20 Winnipeg. 81-19. Ooh, I think that's the closest I've come. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, no, I, I am going with Montreal, but here are my reasoning on this. It is the bat-to-bat. Very hard to beat the same team twice. I think there's going to be some roster changes for the Blue Bombers. I am would not be shocked if we see Sean McGuire at quarterback. Uh, I think he deserves the game. I think they give a mess one. And I think anybody that is nicked up or has a chance of injuring themselves further than what they already are sits out of this team. And I think Montreal wins at home by a touchdown. But the young Blue Bombers who fill in for all these guys give it a great effort. 
I'm going to take Montreal as well. And I think this is maybe the first time I've picked against the Bombers all year. Uh, crazy enough. Uh, uh, you know, home and home series usually split, as you mentioned, I think we're going to see some starters rested. If they're going to rest anybody in any game this year, it's going to be this one uh, against Montreal and the Alouettes are a good football team. Uh, so I will pick against the trend and go with the Alouettes here at home as well. I, I think even with their backups in though, the Bombers still have enough talent to uh, make this real close. I mean, you look at their backups uh, they're still going to play, you know, most of their starting receivers, most of, they've got a couple great running backs there, you know, defensive side of the ball. They have so many players available. I think it's going to be a close game, but uh, I'll pick Montreal on the back to back. And then uh, Saskatchewan hosting Edmonton. What do you think the trend is there? 70-30 riders. 95-5 to Saskatchewan. Wait, wait, wait. That was way off. Yeah. Um, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to go with the surprise on this one. And because it's a back-to-back and they came so close last week, you know, I probably admittedly won't pick them for the games later on this week because they play three in six days. Uh, but I'm going to take the Elks in the first game here. I liked what I saw from some of the younger players for them last week. Uh, as I mentioned, home and home series are hard to win two straight. And uh, we talked a bit about some concerns with the offensive scheme for the Riders. So uh, give me the Elks to take one away here in a short, in a close game. Yeah, I agree with that to an extent, Ryan. But I think I have never seen so much consternation around the football team if it's one three or four games in a row. There is a level of discontent of you won the game, but it should have been by more going on in, in Saskatchewan from the people that I talked to. This is the statement game for the writers. The writers write a wrong. They send a statement to the outs. They send a statement to their fans. But eight and four is nothing to sneeze at. I'm going the writers by 10 plus here. And then we get into our final game, uh, the first game of week 16, as I mentioned, a Tuesday night game. So we'll talk about it here. Uh, the Elks play in this one again. They're on the road to Toronto. Uh, what do you think the trend is here? Yeah, I think it skews heavily on Toronto's side just because of the quick turnaround for, uh, for Edmonton. Do you have a percentage guess? Ah, 75-25. 79-21, Toronto. Close enough. Okay. Yeah, and for my pit, I'm, I'm going to go with the pit trend on this one. I have a uh, little bit of a spoiler alert. I have Edmonton. Well, I, I, have, I have Edmonton a chance to win that game against the Riders. I have Edmonton losing this one, and then they're going to close their season out with a win. That, 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 that's how I see this this three games in nine days going. Yeah, I've got the Argos in this one as well. I think the turnaround's so quick here, um, and I think this could be a crucial game for Toronto to lock up that uh, lock up that first place in the East Division potentially if they don't do it this week with a win over Hamilton, which neither of us said they will in a close game there. So those are our picks for week number 15 and the start of week 16. We'll be back next Wednesday recording once again. 
uh, as we recap the second last week and preview the final week of the season. Super quick before we wrap things up, because uh, I am running out of time here. Uh, Mike, what do you have to plug? Well, I have to make mention of something that uh, came out yesterday in Winnipeg, if we have a few minutes. Um, for those that don't know, the legendary voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving, is retiring after this season. Um, I know I speak for the majority of people that I talked to yesterday. Uh, it was a sad day for me, personally. I am of that age where, actually most of us, are at that age where we listened to Bob Irving as a kid. Uh, Bob Irving is the voice of Blue Bomber football, and it is undisputed. It is not shocking, because I guess everybody kind of knew it was coming, but it still is. It hasn't sunk in that we're going to have a new voice of Blue Bomber football next year. I I just want to say thank you to Bob Irving for everything that he's done on uh, with the Bombers. Uh, I had him on my digital show uh, in the off-season just before the uh, Bomber season started and listening back to that interview, he kind of hinted at it then as he didn't really pick up on it or it was I didn't want to believe it was possible. Uh, Bob, you're an icon. You will be missed. And I think I speak for just, I, I don't think I've ever seen the amount of response over someone retiring the stature of Bob Irving as I saw yesterday some of the comments, all of which positive, uh, directed at Bob Irving. So all the best in retirement, but I just have one request. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, please. Please, please, please send Bob out with another great cup ring. Yes, absolutely. Uh, sad to see him go. Uh, you know, driving home from the game will never be the same uh, without uh, Bob Irving uh, on the post game show. And for those that listen to the game on the radio uh, throughout the whole game as well, a great career for him. Uh, happy to see the Bombers got the one great cup win in 2019. How nice would it be for him to go out with two of them? Uh, they will be honoring him at the West division final on December 5th, which is exciting to see, uh, and hear about, I am looking forward to that. And, uh, one additional request, let's get Bob Irving up on the ring of honor at the IG field. I think if anybody deserves it, uh, he has been an integral part of this football team for years and years. Uh, so put him up there, honor him truly, and uh, let's cherish the last couple of weeks of uh, Bob Irving's career while we still can. Uh, Mike, any uh, where can people find everything you have going on here? Uh, before we close out the show, yeah, people can find my stuff on Twitter at Mike Carroll, people can find uh, my uh, TV stuff at DamePenTV.ca. Sounds good. Sounds good. For my stuff, you can find the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix over on YouTube. Each week I go through all of the fantasy options at each position, give you depth chart updates, etc. Everything you need to lock in your lineups uh, and stay tuned for week 16. It's another weird week where uh, one team plays two games. So uh, it will be a fun week to talk about there. Find that all over on YouTube. 
Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. Uh, all the links to the videos are there as well, as well as additional fantasy talk there and depth chart updates. Uh, for our podcast, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. You can find us on Facebook as well. Whichever podcast platform you're currently listening on, we'd love it if you left us a rating or a review or a like or a subscription or a follow or a comment or any of the things you can do on your favorite podcast platform that uh, show us uh, your support. We always appreciate it uh, very, very much. And uh, we love talking CFL football with you each and every week. Check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well. You can find those on Twitter at CF Pod Network uh, as we uh, all get down the stretch drive of the regular season and into playoff mode. Should be a fun stretch drive here in the, to end off the 2021 regular season. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about the final week of the year. And as always, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Enjoy this week's games, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.